When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he answered, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And yet again, he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Here ends the gospel. And now let us pray. Father God, may the words of those who have participated in this morning's installation and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord our strength, and our salvation. O Lord, open their lips and their mouths will declare your praise. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us today. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The seven worlds of a pastor. In 1968, the Reverend Gerald Kennedy, a bishop in the Methodist Church in the United States, wrote a book entitled The Seven Worlds of a minister. It describes the life, vocation, and the soul of a pastor, the one whose calling is to feed and tend Jesus' sheep. Kennedy's book inspired this liturgy for this day, a Sunday on which two pastors, Pastor Karen Seifert and Pastor Ed Skuchek, are installed as a ministry team at Grace Lutheran Church, West Kelowna, B.C., According to Kennedy, the parish pastor lives and moves in the seven worlds, or more accurately is given seven roles he or she must play in parish life. These are the seven roles of a parish pastor. Preacher, administrator, pastor, prophet, theologian, evangelist, and teacher. The preacher, the risen Christ appeared to his disciples and commissioned them. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. John chapter 20, verse 21. He sent them into the world to call the world to repentance and hear the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. The proclamation of the gospel is the most wonderful task, job, and calling that Jesus can lay on the heart and soul of any man or woman. Listen to these words from St. Paul to the church in Rome. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now then, can we call on the one we have not believed in? And how can we believe in the one of whom we have not heard? And how can we hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. 
Romans chapter 10. The Apostle Paul also wrote that preaching must convey the power of the gospel, the cross. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Reformation preaches, preaching uses the law to convince us of our need for a Savior and drives us to the cross. The gospel proclaims because of the cross and Christ's innocent suffering and death for our sins, we find forgiveness and new life. While the proclamation of the gospel will repulse those who seek wisdom and demand signs, Jesus promised that the gospel will touch the humble, meek, and the repentant heart. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Mark chapter 10, verse 15. Inspired by our Savior's words, Luther himself, a doctor of theology, wrote, When I preach in the Stadkirche, I stoop down. I do not look to the doctors and the masters, of whom there are about 40 in my audience, but I look upon the crowd of young people, children, the servants of whom there are several hundreds. To them I preach. To them I adopt myself. They need it. If the doctors don't care to hear that kind of preaching, the door is open for them to leave. I pray that God will endow Pastor Ed and Pastor Karen and all the pastors throughout the Church of Christ with the grace to always preach Christ crucified and at the same time to proclaim it in a way that reaches the humble and repentant heart. The Administrator, Reverend Kennedy, served as a bishop in the Methodist Church for many years. He recalled a day when a seminary professor asked him whether he knew the root meaning of the word episcopus, which we have translated bishop or elder. The bishop pled ignorance with glee. The seminary professor stated that this ancient word, this ancient Greek word, originally referred to a straw boss on a road crew. Kennedy believed this proved to be a precise definition, and had scriptural foundation. Kennedy quoted from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, a voice of one calling, a desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. A straw boss is what every pastor is called to be. Each pastor is called to be an administrator, that is, 
to organize the people of God. Oh, sorry, that is, to organize the people God has entrusted him or her with to fulfill a task. God has made the promise to the pastor administrator. God has assured the pastor that in each congregation there is a road crew. Paul described the road crew in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul promised the Corinthian congregation that God has given each of their members spiritual gifts, including administration, wisdom, knowledge, faith, the power to heal, the power to perform miracles, prophecy, spiritual discernment, speaking in tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Paul declared that God gave each of them these gifts and knit them together as a congregation so that they could do great things for God. God has given Grace Lutheran Congregation and every congregation a set of plans for the construction of an on-ramp which provides access onto God's highway. God has made us a road crew and given us the gifts. The on-ramp is this place, this space, and this congregation. It is the spirit of this congregation. It is the worship, the teaching, the service, the fellowship, which occurs here. People in this community are driving aimlessly down life's road. The Holy Spirit will guide them here. Here, they will hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They will hear his call to take the on-ramp and get on his highway to eternal life. I pray that God will endow Pastor Ed and Pastor Karen and all the pastors throughout the Church of Christ with the grace to help people discover their spiritual gifts and organize the people of God so they may use their gifts to the glory of God. The pastor. The term pastor means shepherd. No other religious group has created such an office, although some religions have copied it, and no other relationship men and women have in life is like it. Those that have grown up in the church see the pastoral office as old hat. It is a good thing then to stop and consider the office. As shepherd, the pastor regularly nourishes the flock with not only God's word, but also with the sacrament of Holy Communion. The pastor is called to enter the homes and lives of the members of his or her congregation in times of great joy. There is always great joy when a member of a family is baptized and when the baptized are confirmed. There is great joy when these words are fulfilled. Jesus said, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. God's call to the pastor includes preparing brides and grooms for marriage and solemnizing their marriage vows. In times of joy, prayers of thanksgiving are offered that point those who experience joy to God, to the source of their joy and good fortune. The pastor is called to enter the homes and lives of the members of his or her congregation in times of crisis, during times of sickness, grief, and loss. The pastor is called to listen to those whom God has entrusted to him or her with sympathy and speak to them in love. The pastor is called to reassure and comfort the dying with Jesus' words of comfort as they pass from this world to the next. The pastor is called to comfort, console, and encourage those left behind with the words of the gospel. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? John eleven twenty five and 26. God can use these times to do great things. In times of sorrow, prayers are said which bring an individual or a family to the throne of grace and encourage them to cast their cares at the foot of the cross. Hearts are laid bare before God in petitions for help, love, and mercy rise up to God. The Lord uses the pastor to navigate his sheep through their deep, dark valleys. The pastor enters into the sorrow of the members of his flock, believing Jesus' words that he will give all Christians the words necessary to confront any situation. I pray that God will endow Pastor Ed and Pastor Karen and all the pastors throughout the Church of Christ with the grace to listen with sympathy and speak with love as they enter into the lives of those God has entrusted to their care. The prophet. At times, a pastor's words and presence can be comforting and healing. However, that self-same pastor is also called to be prophetic or assume a prophetic role in the congregation. The pastor exercising the office of prophet is painfully aware that the gospel oftentimes brings not peace, but the sword. We must remember that it is in our human nature to need and want to hear words of comfort and affirmation and not words of truth. The prophet must often say unpleasant things to the people who do not want to hear them. The book of Revelation is testimony that the prophetic office is absolutely necessary. In the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus spoke to the seven churches. 
He praised them for their perseverance and witness and good works of love. However, he leveled criticism against six of the seven churches and called them to repentance. The challenges and criticisms leveled by the Lord in his letter to each of the seven churches are applicable to congregations today and will continue to be applicable to congregations until the day our Lord returns. These universal questions, challenges, and criticisms include the following. Will each church and its members be faithful to their charge to be a light in the world? Are its members going out into the world, baptizing in the triune name of God, making disciples of all peoples and nations, and teaching them to obey what Jesus has taught the church? Will each church and its members proclaim Jesus as their Lord, even when intimidated by the forces of evil, including Satan and his minions, the persecution of anti-Christian governments, and the temptations of wealth, status, covetousness, and sexual immorality. Each pastor must constantly examine himself or herself in the light of Jesus' word, admit failure, ask God for forgiveness, and for strength to follow Jesus' call. The repentant pastor is called to challenge his or her congregation with Jesus' words of criticism, call the congregation to contrition and repentance, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, work towards the fulfillment of Jesus' great commission. I pray that God will endow Pastor Ed and Pastor Karen and all the pastors throughout the Church of Christ with the grace to repent, preach prophetically, and call the church to repentance and new directions. The theologian. Theology is defined as the study of the nature of God and religious truth. And there is no shortage of theology today. We live in a time when many, even within the church, question the divinity of Jesus the resurrection, and the reality of life after death. Jesus is often portrayed as a prophet, as a sage, who is a guide for life in this world and nothing else. Still others within and without the church describe Christianity as one of many paths to God. God is described as an ocean, and all the religions of the world are as rivers which run into the ocean. The ocean, they say, accepts all rivers. Therefore, God accepts people earnestly practicing every and all kinds of religions. All these theologies confuse even God's elect. As theologian, the pastor is called to be a defender of the faith in the congregation. The pastor must proclaim these words in opposition to the theologies of the world. The words from John 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The pastor theologian must declare that Jesus came into this world in the flesh. He was really human and really divine. He was really born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, 
died, and rose from the dead, he or she must proclaim what the Athanasian Creed declares, that in the person of the incarnate Jesus, God God has taken humanity into himself, and yet does not transform deity into humanity. The pastor theologian must proclaim that Jesus became for us and for, became human for us and for our salvation. He or she must proclaim that Jesus lives and reigns with God in heaven above and will come back. The pastor must proclaim that Jesus is the king of the universe. The whole universe is moving toward a purpose, full and final, judgment on this world and the creation of a new heaven and new earth. In this new heaven and new earth, there will be eternal life with God for, those, for all who believe in Jesus and eternal life apart from God for those who reject God's salvation in Jesus. He or she must declare that it is Jesus' most passionate desire that we walk humbly in step with him as the entire universe moves toward recreation. I pray that God will endow Pastor Ed and Pastor Karen and all the pastors throughout the Church of Christ with the grace to defend the apostolic faith in the face of the errant theologies of this world. The Evangelist. Acts verse, or chapter 8, verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The Holy Christian Church does not offer a code of ethics or a, core, a, or a code of morals. The Holy Christian Church offers good news. And that is what the word evangelism means. We proclaim Jesus, who frees us from sin, from death and the devil, and empowers us to live a new life, a transformed life. Evangelistic preaching must proclaim Jesus Christ, his, his suffering and death as atonement for sin and his resurrection. Evangelistic preaching must proclaim Jesus' offer of salvation through faith in him and exhort and encourage people to respond to Christ's offer of forgiveness and new life. Evangelistic preaching must be aimed not only at the unchurched, but, as, but at the churched as well. It is preached to reawaken and ignite the passion of the preacher who proclaims the gospel. It permits the flame of the Holy Spirit to be ignited in the barren heart of one who does not know Jesus and can rekindle in the church the passion for Jesus and reaching out to the unchurched. The evangelistic pastor can empower his or her flock to be evangelists and like Philip, to share the gospel with those they encounter on this journey we call life. I pray that God will endow Pastor Ed and Pastor Karen and all the pastors throughout the Church of Christ with the grace to reach out with the good news of the gospel. I pray that God will empower all preachers to proclaim that Jesus did not die on the cross to make us a kinder, gentler, and nicer people. Jesus died on the cross to transform us, to make us a new creation, to live lives for God, and in humble service of others. The teacher, we read from John thirteen twelve through 15. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. By washing their feet, Jesus, the King of the universe, humbled himself and washed the feet of his disciples. This gesture pointed to a great truth. The Son of God had humbled himself. He had become a human being. He came to serve God and to serve humanity by paying a price, by redeeming us, by dying to atone for our sins. His sacrificial death would wash us clean. By this act, Jesus called and commissioned his disciples to be teachers in the most practical way. They were to wash one another's feet, that is, to forgive one another, to serve one another sacrificially. The apostles were to exhort Jesus' disciples to sacrificially serve others in Jesus' name. That is, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to give water to the thirsty, to tend the sick, to visit the prisoner, and to welcome the stranger. Jesus taught that when we show mercy to the least of Jesus' brothers and sisters, we render this service to Jesus himself. The Apostle Paul calls and exhorts pastors to proclaim this to members of their congregation. And I use Peter's words from the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you of doing wrong. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I pray and I ask you to join me in praying that God will endow Pastor Ed and Pastor Karen and all pastors throughout the Church of Christ with the grace to forgive and serve one another as an example to their flock. I pray that they will exhort congregations to live lives of sacrificial service to others and in so doing, encounter Jesus. What a privilege 
to be called by God to lead his people in this world, to feed, to comfort, to tend, to tend them in God's name. Yet as one surveys the task and all that is demanded, it seems impossible for one or even for a team of two to fulfill. How can one person be an effective preacher, teacher, evangelist, prophet, administrator, and pastor? Well, who knows what lies ahead? Will Pastor Ed and Pastor Karen rise to these challenges? These thoughts may be crossing their minds as they think about the congregation they are called to serve here at Grace Lutheran. However, in the face of these fears and doubts, hear the words from Jesus to the Apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. With these words, Jesus proclaimed that when we confess our weakness and the inability to perform the task, we permit Jesus to be in us, to infuse us with his power, and to convey Jesus himself to the world. I pray and I ask you to join me in praying that God will endow Pastor Ed and Pastor Karen and all the pastors throughout the church with the grace to admit their fears and doubts to Jesus and to confess their inability to undertake their high calling so that Jesus may infuse us with the grace sufficient to do his will. Amen.